0: Hello everyone, welcome back to the MTG Goldfish Podcast, episode 22, and we had to check that before we started the podcast, <laughs> just so we made sure, or we'll go right back to episode 20. With me as always, uh, Chaz, and I have Richard with me, what's up Richard? Hey everyone. And as always, Seth, or Saffron Olive, as you know him. What's How's up How's it
1: Seth? going? Oh, what's up Chaz?
0: Not much dude. A lot to talk about this week. We have the Invitational for Star City Games, so we're really gonna only touch base on the Invitational. I know, um, there were other Star City Games, uh, events, but we really wanted to highlight the Invitational because it is really the first bigger modern tournament of the, uh, season, and it has caused some, some chaos, that's for sure. This last week we've seen a really awesome invitational finish with uh, Red Green Tron and, and Amulet Bloom. We're going to talk about some price movement, price spikes. We have some origin spoilers. So let's get to it. Uh, no fish mail, so we will address that next time if we ever have some fish mail. Again, you can tweet at MTG Goldfish uh, with the hashtag MTG Fish Mail, and we'll answer them on cast. So let's start with origins because... It's that time again, uh, spoiler season. It seems like uh, we've gone through how many spoiler seasons now? Um, so open it up for us, Richard.
2: Yeah, so this is actually pretty interesting because Wizards did something pretty interesting this time. They released all the uh, intro decks. So they basically gave us a bunch of commons and uncommons. So typically they actually release, like, you know, a, a Chase Planeswalker or something first, like all the hot cards. And at the end, they dump all the commons on us. So this time they're going about it the other way around, so we'll see how that works out for uh, the hype train. Um, but for today we're gonna talk about the one mythic they spoiled in their set, and that's uh, Avaricious Dragon. It's a uh, 2 mana and uh, 2 red mana, so 4 converted mana costs. It's a dragon, it's a 4-4 flying. At the beginning of your draw step, draw an additional card. At the end of your, uh, at the beginning of your end step, discard your hand. So, uh, my initial impressions of this were it's actually a pretty good card, um, and then I talked to you guys, and you guys have kind of uh, beaten down my enthusiasm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, you know, drawing an extra card is pretty powerful as a curve topper or mono red. Um, you know, if you think, you know, if you draw an extra uh, lightning bolt-like spell, like that's that's pretty good right there. Um, but the main competitor here is Thunderbreak Regent, which comes with a lightning bolt stapled onto it if you target it. Um, so it'll... It'll be interesting to see what, how this turns out. Um, this is a Mythic, though. So Wizards decided to make this a Mythic instead of a Rare, which, I don't know, maybe it's actually that powerful. But uh, what do you guys think?
0: Go ahead, Seth. Uh, I'll, I'll chime in after.
1: All right, well, I think it's a pretty sweet card, but I think it's just overshadowed mostly by Thunderbreak Regent at the moment. Like, discarding your hand is a pretty big cost, and it really limits what decks this will fit in. You really want this guy to be the last card in your hand when you play it. So if you're playing a Coligan Storm's Fury or Storm Breath Dragon, it's just not a card you want in that deck because you're going to be discarding things that you really don't want to discard. So I think it could be a Curve Topper in like a Mono Red Aggro, but I'm not even sure there if it's better than Thunderbreak Regent and the three damage trigger whenever uh Thunder Break gets targeted.
0: Yeah, I- I'm going to... I'm inclined to agree with what you said, Seth. Like, as an avid red player, <laughs> for the most part, in Standard at least, Yeah, I don't know if uh, this can coincide with Thunderbreak Regent. You know, Thunderbreak Regent is such a good card, and you're getting value at every turn, you know, having that body and having that tacked-on lightning bolt. This is a little different. Uh, I don't know if a lot of decks have kind of... Sh- steered away from playing so many uh, copies of Monastery Siege these days. But Monastery Siege didn't really have you discard your hand at the end of the turn, uh, being red. I just don't know if adding a 4-4 four, four flying body, but that, you know, second clause, is really going to make this a better option than Thunderbreak Regent right now. Um,
2: I, I actually have a theory, guys. So, so yeah, we're, we're really but, get If this was rare... Then it'd be, you know, it it would battle up with Thunderbreak Regent, but at Mythic, because it's not strictly better than Thunderbreak Regent, I have a theory that a returning mechanic might be Hellbent. Right? They've announced that there will be some returning mechanics, they haven't announced them yet, but if Hellbent was a mechanic, then this card would actually become, you know, very sweet. Right? So maybe that's why uh, this card is placed at Mythic.
0: That is a that is a really good theory, and they've been printing a lot of these red, like, draw an extra card uh, type deal with, like, some sort of, uh, I don't know, like, built-in... I mean, they always seem, like, to want to, like, you know, restrict it to a specific type of card, whether it be the Chandra Pyromaster Master, Outpost Siege being an enchantment and stuff like that. So it's just, it's really, you, you can't, I don't want to write this off right away because, you know, it's a very powerful... You know, drawing a card in red is very powerful and it's never been on a card before uh, since, you know, Chandra Pyromaster. Now we're seeing it on Outpost Siege and now this. You know, red drawing cards is always kind of, uh, you know, it's kind of powerful. So I just, I don't, I don't really know. I just, I don't know at this point. It's up in the air. I don't want to say it's bad, but I'm not saying, but I don't want to say it's so good that it's going to overtake Thunder Rig region. Maybe they can kind of be in the same deck in the same slot, but, you know, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. It is a mythic, so you never know with these mythics these days. As to the rest of the set, you guys, uh, you guys play limited more than I do. Are there any kind of themes or trends you're seeing so far as to what could be highlighted in, in the rest of these kind of limited fodder cards?
2: Uh, something's interesting is Jesse and Thief. That's a three to cast one three with Prowess. Uh, and then when it deals combat damage to a player, draw a card. So that, that's always an interesting card. And there's also a 2 to cast 2-3 zombie, uh, shambling ghoul. It enters the battlefield tap, but it's just a straight up 2 to cast 2-3 in black, which is very interesting. Um, I don't know if this means we're set up for a slower format with creatures with big butts, but, uh, we'll, we'll see when more <laughs> cards are spoiled, but a 2 to cast 2-3. Definitely, uh you know, and i class with every grizzly bear, so grizzly bears are probably not where you want to be.
0: Better start dusting off those risen executioners, man. <laughs> oh, no, wait, sh- I shouldn't say anything. I'll cause a price spike. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to touch on Origins too much until we get, you know, really more to talk about. We, ha- we do have that mythic. We've known about Liliana. Um What is interesting is that Serum Visions is confirmed not in the set. And prowess and menace are now evergreen abilities, which is very interesting because Prowess kind of seemed like it was very that Jess Guy specific keyword, but Prowess going forward can be can mean very powerful cards. And also um, Scry. Scry is also evergreen now. Right, scry now, yeah. So uh might not be you might want to hold on to those um those temples and if they don't reprint like those uh those buddy lands maybe they stick to the temples seth
1: it's possible i mean now that we have scry it definitely increases the likelihood of drown in sorrows the temples all those cards uh from theros block coming back again so
0: yeah if they end up reprinting these theros you know dual lands is that kind of where is that where wizards want to be with like dual lands going forward Because, like, even the buddy lands, I mean, they're not that, like, overpowered. I don't know if
1: it's where they want to be going forward, but if we assume we're getting more fetches and Battle for Zendikar, I think having a cycle of tap lands along with the fetch lands actually makes for a pretty decent standard. It has some interesting tension there. When having buddy lands and fetch lands together might just be too good of mana
0: fixing. Yeah, that's what I was thinking as well. Yeah, so... That's, like, we we wanted to talk on uh, Magic Origins a little bit. A big takeaway here is, again, Prowess and uh, Scry and Menace being keyworded now, but no so, no um, serum Visions, and they actually said, uh, Seth, that they weren't going to be doing that one-mana, like, cantrip anytime soon. Yeah,
1: I, I was listening to something on Channel Fireball the other day, and I don't remember who said it specifically, but basically their argument was, we have already seen the best one-mana blue cantrips that will ever exist in Magic are already printed. Preordain, Brainstorm, Ponder, there will never be any more cantrips as good as those if they make Magic for another hundred years.
2: I'm so yeah. sad. <laughs> they, they also said uh, what is it? Elvish Mystic is overpowered.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah, that's but another a thing. one
2: man, a one mana yeah. mana dork is too strong. That's what development has decided. Yeah, so. I can't believe,
0: I can't think so, of skew Vol- Noble
2: Hierarch. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's sure, like, yeah. Way yeah no Noble anything. Hierarch
0: even Elvish Vis- uh Mystic is out of here. Uh and you can pretty much kiss Birds of Paradise goodbye in uh standard.
2: That's right, uh, Shaman. What were they thinking? <laughs> Let's staple on two more abilities and give it one more toughness.
0: Yeah, so instead of making a one-mana uh, like Elvish Mystic, we'll just make like a mini Planeswalker from one mana.
2: <laughs> but I don't know what this means for Eternal Formats. Are we never getting new cards? Like,
0: Nah, man. You Especially can't, Legacy.
2: You can't print anything more powerful, so we're just going to get these, like... There's a four-mana Lightning Bolt in uh, Magic Origins, right? <laughs> so we're like, why, right? Like... Why does Magic have to be played, like, so slowly? Like, match time is 50 minutes. Can we, like, finish matches in, like, 20, 30 minutes by getting people to play cards quickly?
0: Oh, man, hope you, like, anticipate, because that's all you're getting. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Legacy
0: staple, anticipate, nah, but... um, <laughs> So, um, we'll have more to talk about in the coming weeks for Magic Origins. Uh, let's shift gears a little bit to the Star City Invitational. So, did you guys uh, end up watching the Invitational? I watched most of it. Yeah, I watched most of it as well. Did you end up catching it, Richard, or not?
2: I watched nothing, but I'm sad. <laughs> <laughs> I,
0: I well, you, like,
2: you don't like Modern, anyway. What, what you, what I'm a you backseat playing? Modern player. Yeah. I watch <laughs> Modern. I just won't play it myself.
0: <laughs> yeah, so, Ali and uh took down the tournament with Red Green Tron. Against uh, the finals was uh, Chris Van Meter on Bloom Titan. Seth, that was a really good finals. I mean, I didn't think Red-Green-Tron had that good of a game against Bloom Titan.
1: No, I didn't think so either, but Chris had kind of like subpar, like slightly slow draws, and uh, Elian Trazzi got down Karn like pretty consistently and started nuking away lands, and the the games
0: weren't even close for the most part. No, they weren't. Well, I mean, I don't know if they just weren't close or Elian Trazzi was just playing very well. You know, basically just getting everything he really needed for that matchup. Pushing for those, uh, ghost quarters very, in a very timely manner. Getting rid of the Karu lands, like Gruel turf, stuff like that. And just playing a very tight game. uh, Every single game.
1: Chris never had the turn
0: one amulet either, did he? Not in any of those games? No, he doesn't. He didn't have the slick seven palmed, uh, turn (laughs) one (laughs) bloom titan on him. So I, I, it's actually funny, but, um, you know, a little sad, but I, I think Bloom Titan is pretty safe from these bandings because uh it's it's like another one of those combo decks where you know we saw that Gorio's Vengeance deck throughout the day where when it's going off it looks like oh my god how can anyone stop this but when it's bad it's like wow what a pile of, like yeah how could sometimes even you do win a single match
1: you just sometimes do nothing with that deck I think Joe Lassette was on that deck in. He would either kill his opponent on, like, turn two by a bunch of, like, Fury of the Hordes and Grizzlebrands, or he would just do nothing the entire game. Like, he was hard-casting Serum Vision, or Serum Powder. (laughs) He got to that point where he was just hard-casting Serum Powders to try to ramp into Grizzlebrand. It was was embarrassing. When that deck doesn't work, I think uh, Patrick Sullivan said that there's, like, no middle ground with that deck. You either completely destroy your opponent, or it's the worst match you've ever been involved in. Like, there's no middle ground.
0: Yeah, Seth, I completely agree. Um, it kind of looked like Bloom Titan was kind of just dead in the water sometimes. Like being a control, it kind of seemed like it was on, it was like a combo deck almost where Chris Van Meter had like, you know, drawing like really poorly, like two hive mines, just a bunch of packs and nothing to really do while Ali Antrazi is just building a, uh, a massive board, building right in the car in almost every single game. So. Yeah,
1: Amulet Bloom really isn't that consistent. Like, when it looks great, it is great, and then sometimes it's horrible, and it's really horrible. Uh, Tron, I think, is yeah. a much more consistent deck,
0: really. Yeah, and, um, it, it showed in the finals. Another couple things to note, did you see anything really interesting in the top eight? So, a collected company deck top aided a large, you know, it's been topping, you know, modern events and these IQs and stuff, but, you know, to top eight at the Invitational, I think it, we can now officially call this deck a thing. Uh, I don't know if you agree with me.
1: Yeah, I think so. I, it's been putting up results for weeks now, and this is just another feather in its cap, really. Yeah.
0: What do you think of the,
2: uh, the company decks, Richard? Uh, looks like a birthing pod deck. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they haven't killed birthing pod. So value creatures are still good, guys. But actually, I'm just looking at the list. It looks exactly like a Birthing Pod list to me. Um, so I don't know what this means. If, if Wizards didn't like Birthing Pod, does this mean they don't like Collected Company? Like, it, were the restrictions not enough? Like, is this card still too strong? So it'll be interesting to see what they do, because does this mean they can never print a utility creature with three or less mana cost? Does it uh, constrict their design space the same as Birthing Pod? So I guess uh, we'll have to see what Wizards' uh, final take on this card is.
0: Well, I don't think, uh, unless this was a really big oversight on their part, uh, printing Collected Company, Uh, they just printed the new Liliana uh, that flips into a Planeswalker, and that's three mana. So, (laughs) you know, I don't know if adding, like, a new half Planeswalker, half Creature to Collected Company list is, again, a huge oversight, but... I mean, I would have to think that Collected Company is a lot more, quote unquote, fair than, like, a birthing pod where you can just go get whatever you want. At least, Collected Company is restricted enough that, uh, you know, I think it's a little more fair, uh, in the long run.
2: I think you're right, because we don't see the, the quantity, uh, of, of Collected Company stacks like we did for Birthing Pod, but then again, people are just kind of figuring it out, right? So we'll, we'll see where we go, like, a month from now when people, yeah, if it's time. like
0: yeah, I absolutely agree. If it's like degenerate like Pod was, like you were just saying, uh, maybe they might have to take a look at this again, uh, and we just don't get a birthing Pod style deck ever again. But I think really, I mean, it just looks like a blast to play. I'll bet. Obviously, you're gonna have to be knowing what you're doing and your sequencing because there's a lot of one ofs in there. Uh, there's a lot of situations where you really need to know what creatures need to be out at the right time but uh, collected Company decks just look really fun, and I think that's uh, a big driving factor to people playing the deck. Any final thoughts on the Invitational? Uh, I thought it was well done. I thought it was a very good tournament and kind of kicks off this new uh, modern season.
2: So did we learn anything new from this? Are we gonna, Were there any metagame shifts or anything interesting happen, or is it just another solid <sighs> modern tournament?
0: I think it was just another solid, uh, modern tournament, uh, and not to go into the other, uh, modern event held, like, kind of simultaneously, but Red Green Tron took that down as well. So Cedric and Matthias were saying, uh, with, you know, Red Green Tron being so dominant that we could see a shift into, uh, more Splinter Twin type decks, uh, showing up, just sticking to the original, like, uh, Blue Red Twin. Uh, I know it top-aided, but, you know, maybe, um... You know, there was a lot of Grixis style, and a lot of people have been splashing, but maybe if they go to the traditional blue-red twin, that uh, that's that could be a good force in a, in a sea of Tron, where admittedly people will probably start going because, you know, everyone wants to play the most popular deck. <laughs> the other thing that came out of this Invitational, and uh, you're going to know a lot about this, Seth, is there's been an awful lot of price movement. Yeah. Uh, it was kind of a really crazy past week. And, you know, just for you listeners out there that, that have followed us this whole, and, and listened this whole time, I mean, we've been saying Modern Masters 2015 and really waiting for the GP. You, you wanted us to cover that, uh, Richard. Before we go into that, I mean, my caution to you, to everyone is just buy the cards you need to buy because we're, I think this is just the beginning. Uh, what, what do you have to say about that, Seth?
1: Uh, yeah, I think that's true. And I think part of this is predictable. We are heading into modern, uh, PTQ season. And this is what usually happens, uh, when a PTQ sh- uh, season goes to modern. So I think we should have seen this coming.
0: Yeah. Richard, you, you wanted to talk on this. I mean, I'm posing this question. I mean, I know we're, I understand we're going into, um, modern season, but us all being on social media, I'm starting to see like a lot of, you know, disc, you know, discontent and, and angst to the finance community and, you know, myself and you Seth really try to help out and do our part and kind of, you know, we write our, our literature and we, we want people to be able to, uh, to profit or just get the cars beforehand. What do you have to say to that? I mean, it, just recently, like is Oblivionstone really like justification for its modern season where, you know, it's gaining like a hundred percent to over 200% in, in the course of a day. No. I mean, Oblivion Stone was bought out.
1: There's no question about that. The fact yeah. that it's a modern season and the deck is performing well plays into that. Like, that kind of pushes people towards buying out that card.
0: But it's not going to stay at 50 bucks. Uh Richard, you wanted to, um, you know, you, Offcast, you were talking about free market. So, so why don't you go into uh, what you were mentioning Offcast?
2: Yeah, so there's been a lot a lot of flack for, like, MTG finance people, um, you, know, I, you know, I just want to play magic, I don't want to pay, like, a $100 per card, these MTG finance people are manipulating the market and screwing me over, blah, 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 um, but, you know, if you truly believe in the free market, so, if someone raises the price with the buyout, and no one buys it, they're forced to lower the price back until someone purchases it, right, mm-hmm. so, uh, the price will settle where it naturally should settle. If it sticks at the higher price, so say Snapcaster Mage, that means the card is actually that valuable, right? So a free market doesn't mean like everything's cheap, right? A free market means prices reflect their demand. So when someone artificially increases demand, or sorry, uh, artificially lowers supply, uh, if the demand is not there, the price will go back down. If the demand is actually there, the price will stick. So the, the only time this becomes an issue is if there's a large buyout before a large event, right? In that case, you don't have time to wait for the prices to settle again. Um, but, you know, in, in general, if there's nothing going on, the price spikes, just wait it out, right? Like, it will come back down if it's meant to be a cheap card, and it'll stay there if it's meant to be an expensive card. So so while there are some people that are doing uh, questionable things, you know, there, there'll always be people trying to game the system or trying to take advantage of the system, right? Um, but I, I think for the most part, like, individual uh, collectors, speculators, they don't have enough power to shift the market, right? So, you know, I, I wouldn't worry about that. I wouldn't let that frustrate you. You know, just take it as it is. It's part of the game, right? Magic the Gathering is a collectible card game, and unfortunately a part of that is that there are card prices, and they fluctuate according to the market. So that, that's kind of just what the game is.
0: I think Richard just summed up, like, hundreds of thousands of uh, <laughs> hours of MTG finance <laughs> literature a like, Two minutes. <laughs> what's actually very
2: interesting is uh, kind of the transparency we're seeing. So there was a lot of accusations that Star City Games was um, yeah. buying up Blood Moons. And uh, they, they kind of just came out and said, we bought out all the Blood Moons from vendors that were below our buy list price, and we still can't keep Blood Moons in stock. Right? We have GPs to run, and when people show up, they need to buy their Blood Moons for Modern and Legacy, and we need to stock them up. So they actually just you know came out and said that whether it's true or not I don't know, but the fact that you know a business has to kind of reveal its inner workings just to appease the community is actually uh, pretty interesting.
0: Now Seth, there was another to, to substantiate uh you know what what um, Richard was saying. Uh, why don't you talk about the the dramatic entrance uh, <laughs> debacle?
1: So apparently last week someone in Europe bought all the copies of dramatic entrance off of their equivalent to tcg player it's like mkm or something and then this person took and made fake tournaments fake deck lists that showed dramatic entrance winning these tournaments and fake players and posted them on the internet and caused the card to like quadruple in price in the matter of a day or two
0: yeah so that's not financing people okay (laughs) like You know, I've said this on a tweet: like buyouts does not equal, you know, MTG finance. You know, and it does happen even to, you know, Seth and I. I mean, we're we're vested in the MTG finance community. There's other people's too that we don't we don't know everything. I mean, there's going to be cards that even slip through me and buy me and Seth. I mean, you you don't know every single card that's going to spike, right? No, not by any means. Right. So, I mean, we're not. We're certainly not a part of every card, um, but you have to remember the player base is a lot larger than it used to be. There's also a lot more people with with money out there that are interested in kind of making a little bit of profit uh, for whatever means uh, to either fuel their their game or or, or you know whatever. Um, so there's a lot more financiers out there too. Uh, so you have to remember that and. Price spikes don't always equate to, you know, people just, oh, well, that's just MTG Finance. You know, people just buy out a specific card. Um, You know, if let's just use Oblivion Stone, for example, right, Seth? If me and you bought four copies each, I mean, that does literally nothing to the, you know, bigger uh, amount of product that's out there. Yeah, nothing at all. It wouldn't have any effect on the prices. Yeah, so you just have to avoid, like, like Richard said, if the card is worth its new price, it's gonna stick. If not, just wait it out, and, you know, as people are getting shipped their oblivion stones and start undercutting each other, uh, the price will eventually go back down. Now, the prices usually don't go back to what they usually were, but it goes down low enough that, uh, it won't be that big of a, uh, you know, an increase that you could just go and buy the cards that, uh, you want to play. So again, Richard summed up a a lot of, uh, what we write about in like two minutes. So basically just if you want to rewind and listen to what Richard said in the podcast, be sure to do that because, uh, that's basically MTG finance. People are going to, you know, buy cards. And unfortunately that's a, that's a thing in this market. It's a trading card game and there's, uh, value attached to these cards and there's demand for, for cards. So I wouldn't always just equate like a, a crazy buyout, uh, to just people. Oh, well, that's just MTG finance people, uh, buying out everything. You know, you don't know how many people are actually buying Oblivion Stone that day because they want to go play red, green, Tron and they just wanted the lowest cost Oblivion Stone. So those very drastic, uh, when, when you see a spike like that, that very drastic uh, spike in the graph usually means a buyout, but again, buyouts aren't MTG finance. Seth, is there anything you want to add to that?
1: Well, I just want to add to that supply definitely comes into this. With a card like Oblivion Stone, which was originally printed 15 years ago and has one printing in the original Commander deck, which was also low supply, it doesn't take that much for the market to move. There's only 50 copies or 100 copies on TCG Player, so you're talking 20 people buying a playset, and all of a sudden they're gone.
0: Yeah, and you know you don't want to always use TCG Player as like the end-all, be-all, but um, that's like a large quantity of sellers on there, and you know once those are gone, it doesn't take much for the rest of the vendors to start going. So uh, like like you said, Seth, like 30 people buying a playset basically wipes out the supply online. Uh there's just not a lot of product online yeah. sometimes when it comes to you know, a card printed in Merodin. And then again, like you said, in in the first commander deck, which didn't have that like unlimited print run like my five mind seasons under my bed. <laughs> <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> uh, let's do the let's do the price movement. Uh start it off for a Seth, what's standard looking like?
1: Uh, standard, the big news is Coligan's command is up again. After that, we have a bunch of fetches that are up a couple percent. Hornet's Nest, Tassigur, and Court of Calling, along with Eidolon of the Great Revels. And then, of course, our champion is back on top. Uh, she, <laughs> she dipped down to second place last week, but Narset is again the biggest loser, down another 9%. Uh, and then mostly a bunch of dragons, Ojatai, uh, Dragonlord Slumgar, and then some rotating stuff. Uh, Br- Bimaz, Goblin, Rabble Master,
0: Breath, Battlefield Forge, and so on. Yeah. Narset didn't like, uh, not being first <laughs> place, so, uh, <laughs> yeah, she's really <laughs> trending downward. I think we were just talking, like, you could buy four regular copies for the price of one copy, uh, in pre-order, which is insane. Um, yeah. I think the biggest takeaway here is, is, uh, you know, Colgan's Command has been seeing immense, uh, play in, in older formats, and it's a very good card. Uh, Taziger as well. Um, and the fetches just seem like people, uh, again, them all showing up again, um, just shows that people are really starting to buy these in preparation for the next uh, oncoming standard, and even Modern. Yeah? Yeah. Um, so I will do Modern, and we had uh, quite the week. Um, weekly changes. Oblivion Stone is up over 200%. Blood Moon right behind it again, a uh, uh, 41% increase. Olivia Volderin, uh, up 200%. Snapcaster Mage, Creeping Tar Pit, Urza's Mine, Arcbound Ravager, Inquisition of Kozilek, Cavernous Souls, Crucible of Worlds, Losers. Uh, some other uh, additions of Blood Moon... Fulminator Mage, Kozilek, Dark Confidant, Ulamog, Wiltleaf Liege, Scootmob, um, another the other edition of Wiltleaf Liege, and Daybreak Coronet. So basically all those rares from uh, Modern Masters 2015 are just tanking. Yeah, pretty much. And someone asked me that again today, and uh, what's
1: happening with Modern Masters prices. And except for a few premium cards, they're still trending downward.
0: Yeah, let's actually... Um, bef- You know, Since we addressed the uh, price movement, Richard, you wanted to bring up, so what exactly is going on with Modern Masters 2015, Seth? I I, I keep seeing this uh, all over Twitter, like what what they should be doing. Should people be buying cards now? Um, And the general consensus is like card prices, quote-unquote, didn't move at all. So um, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, well, card prices did
1: move. A lot of cards are down a significant amount. Yeah. There's a few cards that didn't really move, and the reason for this is that the big vendors at GP Vegas paid a lot of money. They were buy-listing uh, copies of Tarmogoy for, like, 130 bucks, while they were retailing for 135 or 40. They paid a lot of money to get that
0: supply out of the market and into their hands. Yeah. Um, we're still seeing Tarmogoy kind of readily available in that 150 range. I don't know how much longer. I know vendors are still getting a little bit more product, but that's going to be ending very soon. Um, so a lot of the supply at the GP got really bought up, uh, Tarmogoyf especially, being very aggressive on those buy list prices. But, I mean, to say that card prices didn't move, I mean, like, am I, like, not seeing something here? Because, I mean, I'm seeing a lot of these card prices almost more than 50% of their original price. Yeah, I, price...
2: I- I Go think ahead, it's the lower end cards, right? Like, what people have their eyes on are Tarmogoyf, Karn, right? And these cards have basically not moved. And those are the chase cards of Modern Masters, and those are the ones that people are looking at. So the fact that Daybreak Cornet is tanking is not relevant to most people. They're not tracking Wiltleaf uh, Leech. So I, I think people are waiting for Goyf to, like, drop, and that's when they declare success on Modern Masters, so the the fact that people have bought them out and are holding them are kind of uh, putting a thorn in the, the side of people here.
0: Yeah, I mean, we kind of talked about it. I, I mean, Tarmogoyf, we all kind of thought maybe it would uh, go down to as low as $100, $110. And it did seem like it was going that direction until the GP where it just seems like people don't want to let go. And uh, they were buying up these uh, Tarmogoyfs like – almost the entire supply of all the Tarmogoyfs opened at the GP. Um, but yeah, you're, you're right, Richard. I, I guess people gauge success on the big-ticket items like Tarmogoyf, um, Karn, the, these big uh, mythics. But basically besides Tarmogoyf and, like, I don't know, one other card, a lot of prices did decrease. I mean even cryptic command is down a, a considerable amount from its other printings. So I don't think it's overall a a failure, but um you know, the GP really kind of put the axe on Tarmogoyf moving downward. So, um any anything else you really want to say to that Seth?
1: Well, I think it's a success even though the biggest cards haven't dropped and no one really saw this coming like we uh one thing we don't have control over when we're discussing prices and discussing future card prices is the activity of these vendors that have very deep pockets so that's one thing that we have no control over and the fact that people are going to be buying for retail prices on tarmigo is just, just it seems insane to think about but looking back
0: on it, it makes complete sense they wanted control over this supply Yeah. So, but it it makes a little, and and not to like fault any of the vendors. I mean, they went in there with a a plan and a mission and a lot of money. Um, You know, I mean, how quickly can we see that like kind of return? I mean, if people aren't paying more than $150 and you just spent, you know, $130 on X amount of, you know, hundreds of ptarmoglyphs, I mean, are you kind of stuck here? I mean, was that really not a good idea?
2: Well, because the, it does the, well, seem there's like there's so a lot the of there's a monopoly, right? Yeah. So let, if it's let's say it's Star City Games, what they can do is when there's the next modern tournament, the next legacy tournament for the feature matches, they can just put Goyf decks up all day, right? And then, so when you watch coverage, you watch like ten hours of Goyf decks, and then you're like, <laughs> oh, I need to buy a Goyf. Well, it's 150. dollars Let's go buy it, right? So the problem is like they they have a lot of power in several aspects. They have yeah. They control the supply and the demand uh, to an extent. So that's when, you know, you have uh, monopoly problems. So it's a little questionable in, in that aspect since they, they they control both sides. But, um, you know, we'll, we'll see how it plays out. Hopefully, they're not as powerful as we think they are. And, you know, there are other avenues. And, you know, wizards can always print more and, and whatever. So there's always ways to combat that. Um, yeah. But... You know, a company like Star City Games or even Channel Fireball, who broadcast a lot of GPs, they have a lot of power over the demand aspect as well.
0: Yeah. Seth, I know you wanted to say something.
1: Um, Actually, I forgot what I was going to say listening to Richard's great comments.
0: <laughs> 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 well, um, yeah, I mean, a lot of movement happened, and, you know, I – I don't know how you feel, Seth, but I mean, just coming from myself here as someone who writes on, you know, the financial aspect of the game, I mean, we're all still players here, you know, Richard, myself, and and Seth, um, and, you know, there is a little bit of ethics involved. I mean, I know myself personally, and what we try to do on this cast, we really don't try to initiate uh, that kind of movement, and, you know, I'm not sitting here, you know, yelling from a mountaintop to, you know, buy X cards. Um, so there is a little bit of research you're going to have to do yourself when it comes to this. I mean, feel feel free to, you know, inbox any of us or or talk to us or, or really just tweet out at other people who are invested in this community. Um, you know, it, it's never wrong to ask a question, but, um, I mean, I try to, myself at least, um, you know, I, I would just feel bad to just shout something like, Oh, I bought X amount of card. And then all of a sudden there's a price spike. I mean, I'm not trying to cause price spikes, but I am here for a reason. We're all here for a reason. And, um, you know, we do try to help each other. So I don't want to be like victimized here. and <laughs> Like, you know, the pitchforks start coming for us because I mean, I can only really speak for myself and, you know, Seth will have his say, but, um, you know, we're, we're really just trying to help. Um, and Richard, you know, with the site, I know you deal with a lot of this, too. I mean, you, you're constantly looking at um, the most viewed cards. I mean, those are always up on the site. You, you're constantly looking at price movement. So um,
2: you, you get exposure to that, too. I'm just trying to buy some ptarmogoyce, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll I'll post an update on the site when I build Bug Delver. That's what everyone right. can go in on Modern Masters 2015. <laughs> I'm waiting for the Goyf to drop in price, too. I'm just like everyone else. I'm like, come on, guys. $100 goys. And,
0: and only only because Tarmogoyf is blue that you're actually really caring about Tarmogoyf, right? Because you, you don't know, play green at Legacy.
2: You need to play Legacy. You need to get beaten down by a two-mana, like, 7-8. You're like, why? <laughs> <laughs> why is this a thing? I don't know, but I need one, too.
0: <laughs>
2: Seth, did you, did you want to talk
0: about... um? You know, I had my views on that. Um, Did you want to say something as well?
1: Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. My goal is never to make a card spike either. I actually, personally, I engage in very little actual speculation. I've always talked about how I buy collections from people, and that's my main, like, source of MTG finance. Uh, But I do enjoy the theory aspect of which cards are going to rise, and looking at it uh, that way... So, But usually, if I write about a card, I am very rarely, if ever, actually invested in it personally, so I have very little reason to, motivation to try to make a card spike. I'm just trying to inform everyone that this might be what happens, and to try to help people who are looking to put together a collection, and don't want to get stuck paying $70 for their Snapcaster when they could have paid $30 six months ago.
0: Yeah, or $60 Oblivion Stones. (laughs) Exactly.
1: I mean... (laughs)
0: Yeah. No, I, I totally understand. And I mean, I hope, you know, people that listen to this podcast and, and they're in the community too, you know, um, we're, we're, I mean, I, again, we can only speak for ourselves. Uh We're really just there trying to help. Um I know, like Seth said, he's not really advocating cards and he's not invested. I am a little bit invested and I, I make my profits and kind of just, I'm okay with that. I'm not some heavy speculator with thousands of dollars to throw in and, you know, really make markets move. I mean, I'm just a small-time, very small-time uh aspect of of, of the larger community. So don't expect, like, me to be moving markets at all.
2: Uh, small-time corner drug dealer. Yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> hey, you want some Oblivion Stones? I got an extra play set, and that's about it. Uh But, yeah. Um so interesting week uh we had a lot of things going on no fish mail um is there anything else that we needed to cover or is that pretty much it I think that wraps it up right Yeah I think so All right we nailed it so we got price spikes the invitational was awesome we got we'll have more origin stuff on the way um so I think that about wraps it up for episode 22 um you guys all it's been an awesome every single cast thanks for coming and uh, thanks for tuning in to the MTG Goldfish podcast.